Hey there. Welcome to episode 36 of Great Quarter, guys. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. With me, as always, my boss, Kevin Hill. How are we, Kevin? We're doing great. It's 36 shows. 36, It's amazing. Man. Three dozens. It's beautiful. Hey, uh, I got uh, the Jerome Bettis, the bus episode today. It is. Hall of Famer, number 36. It's Rick Steelers. That's right. He was a man. He was, su- he was such a, a big, influential figure when I was, like, really young. I was mm-hmm. first getting into football. It was like, give that man the ball and get out of the way. I know, it's going to be right? a touchdown. He was like the, uh, uh, the Tennessee Titans running back. Uh, well, Derrick Henry right yeah, now. Derek yeah, Henry, I mean, yeah. he's uh, fun to watch, no no doubt. Uh, we have with us the, the original GQG host, Seth Holm, joining us from the lake house. How are we going, Seth? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, man, you look a little sunburned. Our pleasure. Make no, sure to no, reapply. I'm a bit diligent uh, with the sunscreen, so maybe, maybe so, but um, I don't know. It's hot up there. A lot of sun. Uh, so let's do a quick update to last week's long short, which uh, you weren't, which we we talked about offline here, which was Lemonade. This was the insurance tech company that I was pretty excited about. Uh, I posed a question to JP whether he, he didn't know much about Lemonade at the time, but I posed to him whether he thought the IPO would be sweet or sour. It was most definitely sweet. Uh, Seth and I both uh, got in on that IPO to begin with. Uh, it, it was originally offered to the public at 50 bucks after a range for the investment banks of 20 to 29. It currently sits at uh, a little over 77 bucks, which is a uh, great improvement on uh, in, in just two days, but peaked at uh, almost 100 yesterday. Uh, so yeah, it, the, the, the market has an appetite there for tech companies. They're, they're trying to disrupt. They've got the revolutionary idea of changing, uh, of changing the insurance. I, I think they're a great company. Everybody check them out uh, when you get a sec. But let's talk a little bit about that Bank of America data before we hop on to uh, what is going to be a little bit of a new format here today on our episode. Uh, again, Total card spending. Kevin owes me one more dollar this week. We make it. Uh, it's only four. Four out of the 27 days of of uh, of July, we've seen year over year. Or, I'm sorry, of June. Excuse me. We've seen year over year total card spending go positive. We have seen things cool down a little bit. Uh, online electronics continues to smash as always, as does uh, total online retail. We're seeing that transition from people spending more money online that has continued. Um, but overall, the numbers aren't getting much better. They're kind of just fluctuating there in the roughly single digits to 10% down year over year, uh, which is better than I expected. But, uh, you know, we could see more improvement. But let's, let's go ahead and jump right into what we're going to do today. Every week we do these long shorts at the end of the show, and they are always our most our favorite and most fun uh, thing to do. And we, we typically don't leave ourselves enough time to really dive into the idea. So today we're just going to scrap it. We're going to say we're going to do as many long shorts as we can get in in this 30 minutes, and we're going to dive deep into these questions. You may hear a repeat uh, or two from previous episodes because I didn't think that we got enough info on that question. Uh, so we're going to start with one that we did do two weeks ago. Seth was on the show then. This is, of course, our favorite company to talk about. They are too easy to talk about, and that is Tesla. We have just, I mean, there's nothing stopping this stock right now. It's, it's unbelievable, the run it's been on. Uh, it was at an all-time high a couple weeks ago, and now it's got 50% higher since then. It's just, it's on an unbelievable run. So the, the question that I posed to you guys two weeks ago was, are you long or short the idea of Tesla being the most valuable company in the world in 2030? They're now worth, I think, $250 billion. Uh, if they want to get to that point, they probably have to uh, at least 10x, probably far more than 10x in the next 10 years. You're looking at uh, Amazon and Microsoft right now in the, about the $1.5 trillion uh, market cap range. So Tesla's got a long way to go to there. But Kevin, we'll start with you. I think we know what your answer is going to be, but I want to hear it. 
Are you long or short Tesla being the most valuable company in the world? 2030. Go. What about Saudi Aramco? Or won't they, they be the most wealthy, no matter what the, the price of oil is, probably? But no, I don't think they're going to, Tesla's not going to be the most valuable company in, in what, 10 years, did in we 10 say? 10 years, yeah, 10 years. In 10 years, I, I don't think so. I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't see it happening, you know, because they're going to have to 5 or 6x from here. They're going to have to get everything right. They're going to have to, to hope that the Apple falls, that no new technologies come out in, in another area besides car companies, and that the existing legacy car companies don't take a, a, a chunk because they're going to accelerate and catch up. And then you have Nikola, you have uh, Halion, we've had on Freight Waves a couple times uh, the, this week on that, and a couple other, you know, uh, autonomous. Uh, you know, alternative energy, batteries, and automated uh, technology for trucking. So I just don't see it happen. I'll take the short side of it. Okay. Uh, and I'll have a follow-up question for you after we hear from sure. Seth. Seth, how about you, man? Make, make the case for me. Do you think Tesla can be the most valuable company in the world 10 years? Yeah, 10 years is tough. Uh, if you would have said 2035, I would have been leaned more long. I mean, I would, I would lean towards it being the third biggest company in the world in 2030. And I'll sort of tell you how you get there. So to get to, get to that kind of size, uh, I think one thing that all investors are looking at right now, you know, this started out as sort of a, a pipe dream, a myth, a unicorn thesis, uh, and now has become, you know, not only uh, doable, but increasingly likely. So Tesla has about 80% market share of the U.S. Uh, electric vehicle market, and they're basically they're light years ahead of everyone else in terms of technology. You know this, you know all this, Andrew. And Andrew and I, full disclosure, are long the stock. Uh, it's it's going on a run. I would not be. I'm not a buyer here uh, after a 50% run in three weeks. But uh, that being said, I think what the math that a lot of people are doing is. You know, they're going to deliver about 500,000 cars uh, this year. Um, you know, they just put up nine, over 90,000 deliveries in Q2, which was only down 5% year over year. And, you know, Fremont, was their main factory, was closed for 7 out of 12 weeks out of the quarter. And they're going to do it profitably and get added to the S&P 500. So, I mean, I think imagine what they would have done. And if you add Q1 and Q2 together, you're talking about 13% uh, delivery growth. Whereas, you know, the GMs and the Fords and the Fiat Chryslers of the world were all down 40% in Q2. So the math is basically as follows, and I've done this a million times in my head. But um, so 500,000 vehicles this year, Elon Musk says they can do at least a 40% Kager uh, going out 10 years. If you follow that math, I think it gets you to like 15 million vehicles in 2030. But let's assume that's extraordinarily aggressive because they've got to build a lot of gigafactories uh, to get that in place. But the bull case to get you to the biggest company in the world, they got to do about 10 million vehicles in 2030, right? You get a $45,000 ASP, that gets you to $450 billion in revenue. Uh, and that's to say nothing of uh, I think there's a lot of other opportunities, and we can delve into these, but there's stuff like full self-driving, which has the ability to double gross margin per car. It's not giving any credit for that. Uh, they can do self-insurance. They can do over-the-air uh, recurring software updates. They can do battery and storage. Maybe potentially by that time point, they could be doing autonomous taxis. 
uh, and all sorts of it, not giving effect to any of that. But you get to 450 billion in revenue in 2030. You know that if they stayed at their current revenue multiple, because uh, you know they'd be selling one out of every 10 cars on the planet then. So that's doubtful. But if you put a five times revenue multiple in that, that gets you to your two trillion dollar market cap, which is a 10x from here or thereabouts. That's that's how they're. That's how you have to do it. Now, the last thing I'll say on that is, um, you know, I don't expect them to maintain 80% uh, electric vehicle share in the world. But the biggest opportunity is probably in China. China sells about 20 million cars a year out of the 90 or 100 million that are sold globally, and of those, two million are luxury. And so, uh, I think Tesla has a shot on goal at at least one out of every four of those. Traditionally, it's been a uh, sort of an oligopoly between the big three German guys, the Audi, Mercedes, and uh, BMW. But I think those, I think Tesla is proving to be uh, the, what, without any marketing virtually, may be the most popular luxury car in China. And if that plays out, I think the chances of that event happening are increasingly likely. Yeah, I'm glad you laid that out so succinctly. I wouldn't have been able to do so that well. I, the big the big points for me, I'm also with Seth on this. I'm long the, the possibility of them being such, uh, being the most valuable company in the world. Uh, my main things are, yes, the delivery growth, the brand name. They have a brand loyalty that that I re- you really haven't seen very often in the history of our country. Let's think about it for me. I think about it on the early days of Apple, where the products were way too expensive for most people to buy, but everybody knew what Apple was building. Everybody knew what Apple was doing, uh, and that helped translate into future growth. I think you see the same thing with Tesla, um, especially as they make their cars more affordable, not only the MSRP price, but it makes it a better plan. Like the idea that Seth was mentioning about the robo-taxis, let's say in 10 years they get to that point, they are fully expecting to get to that point in 10 years. You have the opportunity as a consumer to spend, let's say, forty dollars or $50,000 on a car. And every time that you're not using it, you can rent it out on, you know, basically on an Uber type of platform to make money for yourself. So the car can almost pay for itself in a very quick manner. So I, I, th- I just don't know if anybody else is going to be able to offer that to consumers. Uh, I think that just gives you the best deal as a consumer. So that's there's there's the little run on how we think we can get there. Kevin, my follow up question to you is. You, you talked about other technologies that are also um, warranting a lot of market cap, that are, there's a lot of money flowing into, whether it's autonomous vehicles or, uh, or, or big data, anything else that, that now make Amazon and other companies the, the most valuable companies in the world. But do you think there's another car company that could ever leap uh, Tesla again? They just became the most, prof- the most valuable car, car company in the world. I think Thursday or Friday, they took over Toyota. Do you think Toyota or anybody else ever jumps above them and becomes the most most valuable car company in the world. Yeah, I think Toyota will jump. I mean, it's the same thing with, say, say Apple and Shell. Apple and Shell kind of would jump over each other now to Amazon's in the mix as well. So although there'll be a lot of jumping over. Another legacy car company, I, I said facetiously a little bit, Kia, uh, but backstage before we got on here, but because uh, I like their knockoffs. It's very good, but I don't think they'll ever be anywhere near as, as valuable. But, but just to make uh, very clear, you guys are going along the possibility or the probability that Tesla will be the most valuable company in, in 10 years because those are two completely different things. No doubt. I'll go out and say, I'll take the, the big stance. We'll, we'll hear from Seth here in a second. I'll say that I think Tesla is going to be the most valuable company in the world in 10 years. I'm long it. I'm, the probable. I, the, I'm highly probable. probable. I'm, 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 okay. I'm saying it right now. I believe that that will happen. Okay. Seth, what do you think? Do you think, are you, you think it's possible? I'm, I'm it's going, likely? Or I'm what do you think? Short. 
I'm going short because I think they'll be the third biggest company in the world. And I think Amazon, because Amazon, even though it's a $1.5 trillion market cap, I think Amazon can grow their revenue at 20% for another decade unless right. somebody breaks them up. So I, I just don't see anybody overtaking Amazon. So I think that? Apple yeah, okay. and some of those others fall off. Um, but Okay. Well, there's okay, that. Uh, and then here's a quick question. We'll, we'll jump into the next uh, total discussion after this. But if, if, as Seth just said, they own 80% of the EV market in the, in the U.S., who do you think is going to be that number two player? Is it going to be an upstart like a Rivian or a, a Hylion or a, 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 or a Nikola? Or is it one of those legacy players like Ford, GM, Chrysler that are able to you know, transform their, their product line and, and take, take advantage of that EV market? What do you think, Kev? I, th- I think it'd be a legacy. I, I think Toyota. I, I think some of the uh, the Asian manufacturers, Toyota, uh, Honda, uh, are in really good positions. Also, German. You know, Volkswagen. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of co- companies out there that are knocking the door on maybe becoming the, the second player in EV vehicles very soon, if not have still have the largest market share because they they can do it in more in a more affordable fashion. Where Tesla's, as Seth and you were saying, more of the luxury brand. Uh, so there's there's plays out there that are legacy players that can that should be able to deliver really good, competitively priced, uh, cheap. Who will be all fighting over market share uh, EV vehicles? That they should be able to. Whether they can execute it is another thing. Seth, what do you reckon? Uh, legacy player or upstart? Take the number two spot. Well, I, I thought about this question before we came on. So uh, Mercedes just announced, announced a partnership with NVIDIA last week, which I think is sort of promising. The problem is I actually think Tesla is becoming a mass market car just because of the battery cost. They had to start out with the Roadster and the Model S uh, because, you know, the price per kilowatt hour for, to, for making an EV battery has plummeted. But uh, I think that so in other words, in order for someone to compete with Tesla, given that they're becoming a mass market car, I think it's going to have to be one of the legacy guys, but it's probably not going to be a Mercedes because they're going to have to come down. It's going to cannibalize their business too much, and they'd be having to come down from a higher ASP. So, I mean, I think GM's been doing a lot of good things in EVs. I saw Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley who covers the space. You know, he said if if uh, if you separately valued GM's electric vehicle segment, it could be worth as much as $100 billion, like in 2030. So... Um, I would go with, uh, I, I think I'll go with GM. As for all the other upstarts, one reason why, uh, you know, I'm bullish on the company Tesla. Right now, I'm not bullish on the stock. I think it's too high. But, um, you know, all those other companies that you mentioned, whether it be Rivian, Neo, even Nikola, although Trevor Milton would probably like to come on this show and disagree. I mean, those are, <laughs> those are almost proof of concept companies right now. And I think Tesla has... You know, they've got 10 years of battery experience here, and they're just so far ahead, and they're, they figured out manufacturing. So I, I think it's a long shot for anyone to get, um, to get close to Tesla. But if I have to take it off, I'll take GM. Well, beautiful. Let, let's go ahead. Let's stick with the cars for a little bit. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Ford. They have, uh, they're really trying to re- reinvent themselves. I think they. This is a bigger deal than a lot of people are making, uh, making it out to be. They are, are releasing three brand new models of the Bronco. They haven't been made uh, in 24 years. They haven't made a Bronco. Uh, they're bringing them back. They're going to be unveiling everything this month. Um, 
And the reason I think this is such a big deal is because they're directly aiming at Jeep with this campaign. Not only the way the car looks, but the branding and everything that they're, they're trying to do with this car is aimed at the Jeep Wrangler and at the Jeep's kind of uh, dominant position as the off-road SUV vehicle in the U.S. Uh, it, furthermore, they, they're creating, they've created a, a completely sep- a sub-separate brand uh, for off-road SUVs under the Bronco name. They're even creating these things called Ford Off-Rodeos, which are they're going to be four tests sites with different skill levels that you can go and test drive Ford Broncos where you can take your own there and, and drive it around basically like a, a go-kart track uh, for, for full-size cars. Uh, and they've created a complete separate division called the Ford Icons, which are just going to manage the Bronco and Mustang name. We, we saw recently that mu- they came out with a whole new line of Mustangs that even an SUV Mustang, they're, they're really trying anything because this company has been in, in bad sorts for the last really two decades. Uh, so my question to you, we'll start with Seth. Are you are you long or short Ford actually being able to reignite their own flames with this Bronco and uh, and Mustang re-release? You know, uh, I think it's funny following up on our discussion that we just had for the first ten minutes that Ford is go- going all in back to the Bronco, which they retired in '96. As the market screams that the future is electric vehicles, mm-hmm. they're they're moving you know to the opposite side back into Broncos. However, that being said. Um, I did do some work here and, um, uh, you know, I saw, I think it was the head of North America. Um, I think you sent me the article, Andrew. Uh, he thinks that, you know, it can add a few couple hundred thousand cars incrementally yep. next year. So I think it's a nice catalyst for Ford and without cannibalizing their existing fleet. Um, and they only sell something like a little over 2 million cars a year in the U S. So I think it's going to be a really nice boost, uh, for Ford. And yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, a warning sign or at least a drag on growth for Fiat Chrysler. It would seem like it would have to be. I know at least in my generation, I had a few friends when we turned 16 that um, that drove Broncos and they loved them and uh, two-door Tahos. There was other cars like that that were very popular, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so I do think that, um, you know, there'll be a lot of people uh, that will buy those and probably it will probably come from the Jeep buying population. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think uh, it will definitely come from that Jeep brand. I was reading just the other day that if, uh, and by the way, you may know this better than I, Seth, but Fiat Chrysler loses money on almost every car they make except for Jeeps. Jeeps are basically their main source of income. Uh, and if you just valued the Jeep brand separately from FCA, it would be worth 120% what the whole FCA brand is worth. Uh, yeah, the Jeep brand is worth far more than any of their other brands. They sell, wow. it's their only profitable car. They sell a crap load of Jeeps every year, uh, and they just completely own that off-road SUV market. So I think it's a smart market for them to go after, but it is kind of funny that they're going in the complete opposite direction as, as most of the competition. Kevin, what do you think? Are you, you like this Bronco reignition? I, I do, and the F- F-150 is still the, the- it is the most popular selling vehicle, so there's a lot of time in the present before the future takes hold. So you got to make money now, and I, I guess that's what the, the Bronco, you know, brand is not a model; it's a, it's a brand now. Yeah. And I think they they will take a buy out of Jeep because the, you know I'm a little bit older than than the new Anseth, uh, and. And everyone drove Broncos, the, the 67 or 68 Broncos, yeah, the 60s with the convertibles oh, man, sweet, and the 70s. Oh, they're, so they're, they're gorgeous collectors' uh, cars. So, I, and I just hit the preview page where they showed the outlines of the models, and hopefully those are the outlines yeah, because it will be a Jeep killer because Jeeps are expensive. They're very. And I don't yeah. know if the the, the Broncos going to be on the same same pricing scale, but 
Uh, Jeeps are expensive. One of the great things about the Jeeps, too, is that they retain their value like really no other car out there. You can find 10-year-old Wranglers uh, that are selling almost like new. You know, maybe a few thousand dollars difference. So, you know, you pay 40000 and a 10-year-old is going to cost you twenty-five, yeah, so thirty thousand. Yeah. And so it's a lot of money for for a car. And yeah. I, I think the, the Bronco has a chance to come in and capture a, a lot of that market, and, um, and 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 perform as well as as the Jeep does. So I'm very long this this move. Yeah, Ford has also said that much like how they've done with the Mustang brand, they've in, they've actually made like a, a crossover SUV with the Mustang name that's going to come out next year. They have plans for many more models of the Bronco to come forward. So I think we'll end up getting like a uh, you know an even smaller sporty sedan Bronco type off roading sedan. Like I guess like, like I would look like a Subaru almost. You know, Subaru kind of goes for that that off roading sedan you know racing type car. I think they could try to get into that market as well. Yeah, and it really goes back to, to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago with, with Seth, Seth on the show, or three weeks ago, however long it, long it was, about all these models that they're coming out with. Right. You know, brands and models, and that's how they're, they're, they're growing right now. The big mm-hmm. three, uh, you know, Chrysler, Ford, and, and Chevy, that, that's the, their plan. And, you know, having a brand that was an old classic model and sprucing it up, not just one car, but a series of cars, uh, a brand, is... It's an interesting move. Yeah. I don't know if it will work out, but I think it's a smart move. I, I think it's very interesting. I think it's worth the gamble. I mean, I think that car is just in high demand. I think people have, have always wanted one of those, and I think it's been one of their best brands. So so I'm happy for that one. Let's let's move on to Uber, another one of the companies that we just can't stop talking about because they, they make a lot of headlines. They just recently announced the acquisition of Postmates. This is another uh, third-party marketplace to deliver goods, and they deliver anything. You can get your, your medicines delivered. You can get food delivered. They, they, they deliver literally anything. Um, but they paid $2.65 billion for this company. And I just want to get your overwhelming thoughts on it, Seth. Are you long or short this, this Uber and Postmates acquisition? Okay, so I'm long the deal. I think Postmates was the number three player in food delivery in the U.S., you know, which now brings Uber Eats to you know, 40% market share or thereabouts. So you take out a competitor uh, who's subscale and uh, probably would have flopped as an IPO. I like that. Uh, and, you know, you weren't going to get the uh, Grubhub deal by on the regular regulatory front, or that's what they, I assume that's what they thought. So, uh, but as a longtime short seller, I hate the food delivery business. And I, think, <laughs> I, think Kevin, I think Kevin agrees with me. So, uh, you know, I am not bullish on food delivery, but I like the deal. Kevin, what's your, you long short the acquisition? Uh, you know, I, I I'm short the acquisition. I'm always going to be short these these acquisitions, and it must suck for for Uber really to to get stood up by Grubhub, and, and have that deal fall through because it was probably a superior deal than than doing Postmates and 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 getting a little bit more market share. You know, I where did this profitability go? That's what I want to know. They're going to be profitable by they're buying losses again to to buy market share in an industry that is so. I want to say uber competitive, but that's yeah, a pun, right? Yeah, a little so competitive, and it destroys so much capital. Uh, there might be something there at the end end of the day when each of them, you know, they either kill each other off or or they marry one another. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's just a it's a it's a messy messy business to be in. So I, I'm short. Yeah, I'm 
short the acquisition, I think, one, I think they overpaid. Uh, if you do just a little relative back of the envelope math, you can see that Takeaway paid $7.3 billion for uh, Grubhub a couple weeks ago. They own about 32% of the market. So if you just do uh, you know, a little math on what Postmates own, when they own about 10% of the market, so roughly 30% of what um, Grubhub owns. So they should be valued at roughly 30% of what they are valued. And they paid way more than that. They paid a little bit over uh, $300 million more than 30 so I think, and that would be just valuing Grubhub and mm-hmm. uh, Postmates the exact same on a market share level, which I don't even think that's exactly right because I think Grubhub is a much more uh, a much more valuable name right now. It's much more well known to the average consumer than Postmates. Uh, they're, it is. They're yes. in more markets. They they have more drivers. They they're just way bigger. Uh, so I think they did overpay a little bit. I, I think it's good that they're trying to snatch up some market share. I think together they're now roughly a third of the market, just just in line with Grubhub and DoorDash. They each own about a third as well. Um, but it just doesn't seem like the deal they wanted. Like They went after that Grubhub deal for weeks. We heard rumors and rumors, and, and oh, yeah. you know they weren't able to get it. It seems like they settled, in my mind, uh, just to, to, to get something on the books. They, they know that food delivery is here to stay. I'm with you, Seth. It's not a good market. It's very tight margins. There's a lot of risk involved. But it's, it's here to stay. I mean, that's been proven here through this COVID thing. People, people are eating out less. We may be dealing with this for three or four quarters. I, so, uh, I, I, I do think here. if I go ahead, one please. thing, I, I think the business model of, of how the, 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 the food wait, delivery, food delivery. Yes. Yep. Thank you. Uh, the food delivery works is, is kind of broken. I mean, it's, it's, it's not good for the restaurateurs. No, they hate it. You know, it's not good for the drivers. No, right. they don't get paid very much. They don't get paid very much. And it's uber um, aggressive, right. again. You know, it's very aggressive of how they, they kind of capture and sneak their way into to restaurateurs. So I think someone could come along. Uh, I, I still think there's room for it. Someone could come along with a better business model and, uh, and, and capture a lot of market share and turn, turn the food delivery sector upside down. Yeah, I think it's Ghost Kitchens, likely, uh, that probably yeah. do that. Travis Kalanick, the, the ex-Uber uh, guy, he started this company called Ghost Kitchens, which basically looks at, you know, um, unrented kitchen space and just creates a d- delivery-only, uh, takeout-only type of business. So and I think that's probably the answer there. But 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 good. I think we're, we're on the same page there. Let's shift focus for a little bit here on the... Uh, on the last five minutes here, so we got to rush through this one. Let's go with uh, end of year S and P 500 total. We'll, we'll skip a couple because I think this is the most fun here. So uh, the S and P 500 is now only eight percent below its all time high, which came uh, right before this big sell off back in the middle of February. Uh, let's say the, the all time high was 340, roughly. Currently, it's at 315, so only eight percent off. Seth. What do you think, man? Are you long or short the S and P 500 getting back to that 340 level and hitting all time highs by the end of the year? You know, the rational side of my brain says to go short, um, but I'm going to go long. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> what about you, Kev? <laughs> that, now, uh, clarify that, that this is that it will uh, uh, pass. It, will, it won't finish the year. Okay, that's yeah. not, Let, not what you're let's saying. Let's do right? this. Let's say, let's say at back. the now. Let's just say at the end of the year, will it be at 341? So that would be an all-time high at uh, December 31st. No, there, there's just too much uncertainty between okay. now and, and then. I mean, we have the second half. We have fall and winter. We have a lot of other things that that is 2020. So anything yeah, can well, happen. And if it goes by the track record of 2020, anything is not good. It's going to be something bad, probably. So I, I would, I'd be short this. Seth, does that change your uh, does that change your opinion on it? If it ends 2020 at all time highs. 
Are you no, still long? you know, and, and the other, I'll just make it quick, but the other thing I think, so generally if, if, this, if the recession, if we come out of it by the end of the year or the beginning of next year, we get a vaccine, I think you're going to see explosive earnings growth in 2021 because you, you'll have almost a full sales rebound. It'll probably take two years to get back to three, four, five percent unemployment. So you'll have a lot lower labor and OPEX costs for all the companies there with all the demand back and you'll get a ton of earnings growth. And I think that's what the market's looking forward to right now. Although the election and all that, there's a ton of risk out there. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I was going to mention is that we have an election coming up in which I know the investors are, are very much looking forward to a Trump re-election, I think. They, the, the stock market has done very well under President Trump, so I think that they're hoping for that. Uh, but, I mean, we could see we could see an easy 10 or 15% sell-off uh, on November 6th if, if Biden is elected. Uh, I think it will rebound very quickly because structurally nothing will change. But There's still perma bears out there who are, are saying this is a setup like 1930s, like, like after the first crash, getting set up for a, a second crash of, of 30 or 40%. It's a house of cards. It's on stilts right now. It there, is. A lot of the economy is on stilts. Uh, okay, I think we've got one quick, we got one minute left. Let's, let's go with it, Seth. Uh, if you had to park your portfolio in a trucking stock or a real estate stock or a REIT, where would you be putting it for the rest of the year? Trucking. Full steam ahead, man. You're looking at the charts. These trucking stocks are breaking out. You got volumes. If the spot rates remain high, you should see higher contract rates. They'll get a lot of leverage on the bottom line. I'm going to listen to the market and go with the trucking stocks. Okay, what about you, man? I know you love real estate. Uh, Trucking. Yeah, yeah, trucking, everything's set up to, to if, if something good happens, it should be really good for supply and demand fundamentals. It just takes a little bit of something good to happen. So everything else, I think, is getting in place. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Seth mentioned this to me offline. You know, we're coming off of a, of a trucking recession. We have basically trough EPS that we're looking at right now. You've got, uh, if we don't have a couple years before we have another trucking recession, you're going to see uh, earnings and multiples explode the next couple years. So, yeah. I'm all over trucking as well. Uh, so we've got a couple seconds left here. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for Carry Direct for always taking care of us. We're on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. We will see you next week.